Welcome to the Desert Life Church podcast. We're so excited you've tuned in to hear our weekend message. From wherever you are listening, we hope you're inspired by this message. Well, you can all go home because we've all been ministered to this morning by Hannah Cheatham, an amazing uh, youth leader in the life of our church. Where are you, Hannah? Anyways, let's one more time, let's give Hannah an awesome big round of applause. Well done, Hannah, for sharing around giving this morning. How you doing this morning, church? Awesome. I just want to echo Pastor uh, Wayne's words uh, that he shared before on the video just before. It's a crazy time that we're uh, living in. And uh, Friday, I had intended on prepping for youth and prepping for this morning. But instead, I was on the phone for most of the day uh, with Department of Health and just looking at how we as a church can be proactive in keeping our community safe. And I want to assure you, as you would know if you're keeping up to date with what's happening um, with the government and everything, that it's safe to be here. You're welcome here, and it's safe to be here. And we are going to continue to keep you updated on everything that's happening. Pastor Wayne said to follow Hope Center on Facebook and Instagram, and we are Hope Center here at Desert Life Church, but make sure you follow Desert Life Church too. That's pretty important uh, because things are a little bit different in Brisbane than they are here at this stage. But if you right now are not following us on Instagram or Facebook, you have 30 seconds to pull your phone out to follow us on Instagram, follow us on Facebook, and then close your phone. Do not play Clash of Clans. Do not play Farmville. It's just a quick moment to uh, make sure that you're following us. We are going to keep you updated. I'm going to make sure that we are going to be uh, messaging you a couple of times a week. If you don't receive emails from us, so you would have seen an email go out this week. If you don't receive emails from us, uh, make sure you come and see me uh, after the service today, we can make sure that you get on our email chain. We are going to make sure that we keep you updated uh, to keep this community safe. Is that cool? And Pastor Wayne also said that we are going, we do have the uh, capabilities and the capacity to live stream in the event the government decides to shut down public gatherings. Uh, there's no cause for concern at this stage, uh, but we are prepared and being proactive in this area. Is that cool? Can I get a thumbs up around the room? Awesome. Awesome. Well, welcome to church. This is a special service this morning. That's our youth takeover service. And uh, we have an amazing youth ministry here at DLC. And I'm not just saying that because my wife and I run the thing, um, but we do truly have an amazing youth ministry. We hear testimonies week in and week out, uh, just like what Hannah shared uh, before, of just incredible ways that God is impacting the lives of young people in our community. And uh, we have an influence in schools. uh, And it's just... Things are going great in youth uh, here at DLC, and I want to stress something in this moment, and this might just be a little tiny bit confronting to some people, maybe, but I'm going to say it anyways. Is if you have young people, and you are not sending them to youth, or you are not sending them to kids' church, you're doing them a disservice. You are doing them a disservice. And the reason I can say that is because I stand in this room every Friday with 50 young people, And then during the week, I get called out at midnight to go to people's houses to deal with crises and situations. And so the reason I can say that you're doing them a disservice when they're not connected to a community of young people who believe in this Jesus is because I see it every single day. I, uh, this last week, got called out twice after midnight to go and deal uh, with some situations that had happened. And uh, I must say, it's because Young people aren't connected to fellow believers. And so if you have young people, I'm just going to say this one more time, and then I'm going to leave it as is. You can get offended uh, with me afterwards and talk with me afterwards, but I have the microphone. And I'm going to say, <laughs> but I'm going to say this, that if you have young people in kids, 
If you have young people who are, chil- who are children uh, between transition and year six, you need to send them to kids' church. They need to be connected to other young people and grow together. If you have young people who are youth-aged, who are teenagers, you definitely need to send them to youth. Uh, because you are investing in their future and in their relationship with Jesus, okay? So I'm going to leave that there uh, for you to uh, work through. But we are going to continue, and we're going to move on into this morning's message. This morning, I'm going to be sharing um, around the book of Philippians, and not the book, but a specific passage in the book. As a youth ministry, we have been going through Paul's letter to the Philippian church. We've been taking a slow crawl through. We are in Philippians chapter 2. Over five weeks, we are now in Philippians chapter 2. And Paul's letter to the Philippians can be summarized as this joy throughout these horrible circumstances that Paul faces. And so this morning, I want to share with you on this passage in Philippians chapter 2. And if you have your Bible, uh, whether that's electronic or otherwise, uh, please grab it out now to get ready. We are going to be reading from Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 through to 30. And we are going to get there in a moment, but uh, please grab your Bibles out while you're waiting. If you don't have your Bibles, that's completely fine. It's going to be up on the screen in just a few moments. Um, But before we read our text for this morning, I want to provide us a little bit of context. I say this at youth whenever we um, chat about the Bible. When you come and approach the Bible, you should take off the lenses that you are wearing. I'm not talking about your literal glasses, but the master in theology lenses, the 40 years experience in ministry lenses, and put on these 3D glasses This is what we say at youth. Put on your 3D glasses whenever you open the word. Because when we open the scriptures and we read the scriptures, if we put 3D glasses on, we see it come to life in front of us. And then we can process through it more effectively. So right now, no matter how much you know about the Bible, no matter how amazing you are, put on your 3D glasses. And we are going to now look at a little bit about what was going on uh, around this passage, a little bit about the history, a little bit about the context that was going on in this Greco-Roman world uh, that Paul writes this letter in. Paul, uh, if you grew up in in a church, if you know anything about the Bible, was an amazing man of God. He encountered Jesus on the road. He was once a Pharisee's Pharisee, and then he encounters Jesus on the road and becomes a Christian, becomes a follower of Jesus. And then Paul becomes the greatest evangelist to ever walk this earth. And in the context of what's happening in this time when he's writing this book to the Philippians, Paul is imprisoned. Paul's imprisoned. And more accurately, actually, we know that Paul's under house arrest. He's imprisoned under house arrest. Acts Chapter 28, verse 16, it's going to be up on the screen. We're going to run through some of these verses, but I just want to provide a little bit of context. It says that when he entered Rome, when Paul entered Rome, he was allowed to stay by himself, but he had a soldier who guarded him at all times. Paul was allowed, while he was in prison, to take in visitors. He was even allowed to minister the gospel. A few verses later, in Acts chapter 28, it says these words, And then Paul stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and welcomed all who came to him. He preached the kingdom of God and taught concerning the Lord Jesus with all openness unhindered. 
So while Paul is in prison this occasion, because he's been imprisoned a number of times, he is allowed to preach and teach the gospel. He's allowed to take visitors in. He's allowed to conduct business as normal. He's not chained to a wall. There's no ball and chain, but he's allowed to move about his rented quarters, but he had a guard with him at all times. Are you following me? Paul is in a pretty difficult circumstance, but he's certainly not chained to a wall in a dungeon. During these two years, we know that Paul wrote some of his greatest works. Paul was responsible for a significant chunk of the writings in the New Testament. And during these two years, Paul writes the book, the letter to the Philippian church, to the church in Philippi. Now, there's a few things we have to understand. In the Greco-Roman world, in the first century, when you were imprisoned, that was not your punishment. Punishment came after the imprisonment. Imprisonment was a waiting period. You were taken, you were arrested, you were thrown in prison, and then you awaited your trial to find out what the outcome would be. And in the Greco-Roman world, in this first century world, controlled by the Romans, there were two possible outcomes to a trial. And those were that you were to be a free man, let go, free to go about your business and do whatever you like, or you were to be executed. Those aren't very good outcomes. You're either to be set free or you're to get your head chopped off. And Roman, uh, Paul was a Roman citizen. And so Paul was, uh, received certain benefits for being a Roman citizen. It was, a, it was good to be a Roman citizen back in this first century. You received more benefits than the Jews did, uh, or you received all these, than, than Jews who weren't Roman citizens, rather. You received more benefits. And so I think when Paul talks about the joy that he has despite all the hardships and challenges he has, his hardships and challenges aren't actually the fact that he is right now subject to his house arrest. His hardships are not that he has to stay home. His hardships is that he's waiting to find out if he's going to live or if he's going to die. And we know Paul's a great man of faith, and he says to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's not really too worried about what the outcome is, but his flesh is scared. And perhaps this most significant reason Paul speaks of these trials and challenges is because of his awaiting as to whether he would be executed or whether he would be released. So there's a little bit of context for you about Paul. And so we find Paul now sitting under his house arrest. He's in his uh, rented quarters. There's a guard sitting at the door, not chilling out. And Paul is sitting here writing a letter. And he writes this letter to the Philippians. And if you have your Bibles, we are going to read Philippians chapter 2. Verses 25 through to 30. That's going to be up on the screen, but otherwise, if you're following along, that's awesome. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible because America produces great things. And so uh, I, uh, it's also my preferred version of Scripture, but whatever version you're reading, that's pretty cool too. Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 through to 30 says, I thought it necessary. Now, Paul is speaking here, Paul's writing. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, not appendicitis, Epaphroditus, okay? My brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. 
Therefore I have sent him, Epaphroditus, all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and, you, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him, Epaphroditus, then, in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. We are going to park and look at this text uh, this morning. This is going to be our primary text this morning. But I do want to take a few steps back and just look at the beginning of this passage that he writes. Paul introduces this second chapter of Philippians with a call to humility and service. Many of us who are familiar with scripture know that Paul's talking about if, you, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, being united in, in spirit, and so on and so forth. We're familiar with this passage where ta- Paul emphasizes the importance of unity. But he summarizes this beginning part of the second chapter of Philippians by a call to humility and service. And in Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, he says, Do not merely look out for your own personal interests but also for the interests of others. And so Paul's saying, you as a Christian need to be humble and you as a Christian need to serve. We would all agree with that. Those of us who are Christians, be humble and serve. And so then Paul, what he does as he says, this is so important to me that you would be unified, that you would be humble and that you would serve. Paul says, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to provide for you four examples of humble servers that you know of. And so the first example that he gives in verses 5 through to 7 is this man that some of us might know, and his name is Jesus. Paul says, have this attitude in yourselves. This is verses 5 through to 7. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped but instead emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man. What Paul is saying is this, that Jesus has come and he's God. Jesus is God. He is all divine. But instead of taking on his divinity and using his divinity, he's decided to put it aside and walk the life of a man, walk the life of a servant. He decided to put off his godliness and humble himself. And then he decided to be a servant. Jesus didn't have to do this. We know that Jesus could have done anything that he wanted to do, deserves all praise, deserves all glory. It's why we sing this morning. But Jesus decided to put off his divinity and say, instead, I'm going to serve you. The first example Paul gives is Jesus of a humble servant. That's a good example. The second example that Paul gives is himself. Now, I think it's difficult to find humility when you're writing about how good you are. But anyways, we'll move past this because Paul was a righteous man of God. But Paul refers to himself in chapter uh, chapter 2, verse 17, by saying these words, Even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I will rejoice and share my joy with you all. Now, what he's saying, this is a little bit confusing when you read. A drink offering was wine or blood that was poured out on top of a sacrifice. It was to uh, resemble that the sacrifice, it was to to say that this sacrifice is taking place. So, what Paul is saying is, is, even if I am to be executed, 
Even if I am to die and my blood is to be poured out as a sacrifice, as we continue to do the work of Jesus and spread the gospel, I will rejoice and share my joy with you all. And so the second example Paul writes about is himself willing to die for the gospel. And so the readers who get this letter, the people who take this letter and read it, the church in Philippi, find themselves in a really difficult position. Because Paul starts off this letter and says, I want you to be humble and I want you to serve others. And then Paul gives the example of Jesus and the example of Paul. He says, be like Jesus, the son of God. We talk as a church about being Christ-like, but the problem with being Christ-like is it requires us to be Christ-like. And uh, that's pretty challenging. Paul is the most influential and revered Christian leader other than Jesus of all time. And so what Paul's saying is, be like me and Jesus. It's easy. Okay, right. So they say to themselves as they read this text, oh, is there anybody else that I can relate to? And Paul knows this. Paul's like, uh, I'm going to throw the Jesus line at them. I'm going to throw the Paul line at them. But uh, I'm going to throw them a bone and talk about some other examples as humble servants. And so the next example they, that Paul writes about is this man named Timothy. And Timothy, we know about, he's a leader's leader, a pastor's pastor. If you want to be a leader, go learn about Timothy. Follow Timothy. Follow Jesus. Follow Paul. But in verse 20 to 22, Paul writes about this guy, Timothy, that I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not of those of Christ Jesus. But you know of Timothy's proven worth that he has served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child who serves his father. Timothy's Paul's two I see. Paul's beginning to throw the Philippian church a bit of a bone because he said, be like Jesus, be like me, Paul. Mm, pretty difficult. But then he says, well, here, be like Timothy. But again, he's regarded as a leader's leader, a pastor's pastor, a great man of God. And then finally, Paul breaks it down one more and says, well, then be like this guy, Epaphroditus. And so this morning, we are going to learn a little bit about this guy, Epaphroditus, that we find in Philippians chapter 2. Epaphroditus is a Gentile, which means he's not Jewish. He's not a Jewish guy. His name is Greek. He's a Greek man. His name comes from the name Aphrodite. Does anybody know who Aphrodite is? Aphrodite. Aphrodite is the Greek goddess of love. And in fact, the name Epaphroditus literally translates as beloved of Aphrodite. So we have this man of God here whose name literally means the beloved of this false pagan God that the God Yahweh and the God Jesus hate, that they're jealous. Epaphroditus grew up a pagan guy and then he encountered Jesus. And I want to say, side note here, this encounter and this experience that Epaphroditus has growing up pagan, name beloved of Aphrodite, further demonstrates how God can just completely and radically transform our world and meet, me, meet you where you are. Epaphroditus was a part of the church in Philippi. He was a convert of Paul the Apostle. And we know from the text that he traveled to, from Philippi to Rome to minister to Paul, who was under this house arrest that we talked about prior. 
We know from the story that Epaphroditus falls ill. He gets sick. He almost dies, but then is healed by God's mercy. And Paul says this phrase, I'm glad that God healed him so that I did not have sorrow upon sorrow. Sorrow that I am awaiting trial to see if I'm going to live or if I'm going to die. And not only that, but now my friend who has come, he almost died. Paul then sends Epaphroditus back to Philippi. He sends the letter with him. And in the letter, he urges the Philippians to honor Epaphroditus because of his sacrificial attitude toward the work of Christ. And so here, Paul makes three key observations. And I know you're wondering, when are we going to get to the text, Sam? Paul makes three key observations about Epaphroditus in this text. These three observations that Paul makes mark some fundamental characteristics in the lives of Christians who are prepared to be effective for the work of Christ. These are the titles of Epaphroditus. And if you're taking notes this morning, the title of my message this morning is this, the titles of Epaphroditus. The first title of Epaphroditus is my brother. If we go back to the text, uh, the uh, primary text that we're reading from this morning. Sorry, I'm trying to find it in my notes. If we go back to uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 25, we see that Paul starts off by saying, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. And then he uses this phrase, he uses this word, he uses this title and says, my brother. The first title that Paul gives Epaphroditus is my brother. My brother is a title that speaks about relationship and affection. Epaphroditus was a believer. And if nothing else at all, Christian living is living connected to community. Christian living is living connected with one another. We have these values here in the life of our church, connect, grow, serve, flourish, lead, influence. And and we've been running next steps over the last couple of weeks. And in next steps, we've been laboring on this idea that these values are important to us because they're values that are important to God. And they're values that we see come out of scripture. And so I know to you, you might roll your eyes and go, oh, he's talking about connect again or grow again or serve again. I want to say this. The reason we talk about it is because it's infinitely important in the lives of believers. My brother is a title that speaks of a relationship, affection, and connection. And the truth is, is whether you like it or not, whether you like the person next to you or not, if they're a believer, if they're a follower of Jesus, then you have to spend eternity with them forever, living life connected with them. And so you might as well get started now. You might as well call them your brother. So look at the person to your left and say, what's up, brother? Look to the person to your right and say, what's up, second option? You know, the first century Greco-Roman world had a different understanding about brotherhood. The first century world that Jesus walked in, now that Paul walks in, had a different understanding on what brotherhood was. In this time, the Greeks thought they were superior. The Romans also thought that they were superior. Everyone thought they were superior. 
And so because of this, peoples were then divided up by class, race, religion, citizenship, family, even wealth. And what Paul is saying here is that regardless of my race, regardless of my religion, regardless of my class, my citizenship, my family, or my wealth, what the gospel does is it levels this playing field and says there is therefore no more Jew or Greek. There is no more man or woman. There is no more slave or free. But Paul writes, and Jesus comes and transforms this uproots the first century people's understanding of social status and says instead that we are brothers no matter our differences. Paul sees this as he thinks about his brother Epaphroditus and as he writes this text and the first thing that he describes Epaphroditus as is his brother. He's a brother first. If we pull verse 25 back up, you can just leave it up on the screen actually. Paul says, I thought it necessary to send to you, Philippians, my brother Epaphroditus. And he is also then my fellow worker. First he's a brother, and now he's a fellow worker. This title that Paul gives Epaphroditus speaks of a job to be done. Fellow worker speaks that a job is to be done. It speaks of people laboring towards the same goal. We know from just this text that Epaphroditus had a servant attitude. Paul uses Epaphroditus as one of his examples for living a life of humility and living a life of service. Paul writes that Epaphroditus was the messenger and minister to my need just at the end of this text here. The Philippian church was a generous church. The church had actually sent Epaphroditus with a gift to give to Paul. In verse 18... It's going to be up on the screen. Paul writes, I have received everything in full. This is at the very end of his journey um, writing through this letter to the Philippians. This is at the very end of his letter to the Philippians. And he writes in Philippians chapter 4, verse 18, that I have received, Paul's writing, I have received everything in full and abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent. This, what he has sent, is a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice. It is well-pleasing to God. You know, interestingly here, Paul, who, as we said before, is one of the most influential Christian leaders in the history of the world. He's responsible for the conversion of countless people. His writings are responsible. And look, I want to pause and say, I know Jesus. You know, he died for us, and we can have life in him. And Paul, though, is sharing this message then and becomes part of this journey as people encounter Jesus. He's responsible for the conversion of countless people. And in this passage, this great man of faith regards this guy, Epaphroditus, whose name means the beloved one of Aphrodite, as a fellow worker. By using this phrase, Paul includes himself as equal with Epaphroditus in the work that they are doing for Christ. Who here thinks that they're equal with Paul? (laughs) it's challenging to think about. But the truth is this, is that Christian work is a team sport. It's working together. A part of a, working together is a part of Christian living. And Paul and Epaphroditus worked and and labored together to see the work of Christ flourish. Paul summarizes this idea in an awesome way. 
in his writing to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 12, 12. He says, for even as the body is one and yet has many members and all members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. And that's to say this, you've heard it before, but no matter how you serve and no matter how significantly you think you serve, you are a part of this fellow working in the gospel. You are a part of this relationship of being a fellow worker, just as Paul and Epaphroditus were fellow workers. You are a part of this journey. If we bring up Philippians 2, verse 25, once more. Paul starts off by saying that Epaphroditus is my brother. Then he says... He's my fellow worker. And then he says, Epaphroditus is my fellow soldier. Paul and Epaphroditus share together in trials and in hardships. Paul identifies that trials and hardships are associated with Christian living. Timothy, uh, Paul writes to Timothy and says these words in the second book, the second letter to Timothy Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. For no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Epaphroditus is a fellow soldier in the work of Jesus and together they share in hardships with one another. Paul is imprisoned. Paul's awaiting to hear if he's going to be executed or if he's going to live. Epaphroditus travels from Philippi to Rome and almost dies. He gets sick and he almost dies. He walks this journey. You know, it's quite possible that Epaphroditus, when traveling to go see Paul, was a little bit nervous about seeing Paul because Paul's this guy who's on trial, who's going to likely be executed. Paul's this guy who... uh, the Romans don't like very much because of this message that he's trying to send. He's against the Roman, the Greek pantheon. He's against the Roman religions. He doesn't serve. He doesn't worship the emperor. He worships Jesus instead. And so people don't like Paul. And Epaphroditus is going to take care of Paul. He's going to give money to Paul. He's going to minister to Paul. He's going to send a message from the Philippian church to Paul. Epaphroditus was a fellow soldier He was prepared to risk everything for the work of Christ. In the last verse of this passage, verse 30, it's going to be up on the screen. Paul writes this about Epaphroditus. He came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. I'm going to invite the band up. You know, in this youth takeover service, what I wanted to do is get this idea across that Paul wants believers to be humble servants. Jesus himself was a humble servant. And we seek to be like Jesus, but we'll not be like Jesus until we're with him. Paul himself is a humble servant. And Paul's a great man of faith. As he walked down the street, his shadow, or as he walked down the street, he would take, um, he would take 
cloaks and garments and things and people would be healed as they touched these things. Paul raised people from the dead. Paul was responsible for so many miracles. He was responsible for so much of what we know now in our Christian faith as our doctrine, as our beliefs, as our theology. And Paul here says that he's on equal playing field with this guy Epaphroditus, whose name means the beloved one of Aphrodite. The roles of brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier are synonymous with Christian living. If you want to live the life of a Christian, you must be a brother, a fellow worker, and a fellow soldier. However, these three characteristics can only be made effectual for the work of Jesus when you do one more thing. Paul summarizes his encounter with his friend Epaphroditus. They're sitting across the table from each other, enjoying some Roman tea or something like that, looking at each other. And Paul's just going over his notes for this letter to the Philippians. Put your 3D glasses on right here. He's looking through this letter to the Philippians, just making any last minute edits and preparing to send it on its way to Philippi from his brother Epaphrodite. And he looks up at his brother as he's reading through this and sees my brother, my fellow worker, and my fellow soldier. And then at the end of this section, when he concludes talking about his brother Epaphroditus and he moves on to talk about other things, he uses a phrase that is only found once in all of scripture. If you could put verse 30 back up onto the screen, please. He uses a phrase that is only found once in all of scripture, not just in his writings, but in all of scripture. This phrase is only used once. We read here, Epaphroditus came close to death for the work of Christ. And then we see this phrase, risking his life. And the Greek words, the Greek phrase is parabaluamai suchei, which means this, to expose the soul. Parabaluamai suchei means to expose the soul to risk the life, but not just to risk your life, to completely gamble your life to the point where you are willing to surrender all and give all. It's a phrase found only once in all of scripture. Parabaluamai sukei. And Paul is saying that Epaphroditus came close to death for the work of Christ, but he was willing to expose and risk it all so that the message of Christ and that the work of Christ would continue to flourish. You know, you remember before that Paul used these examples to talk about how we should live as humble servants. He talks about Jesus. He talks about himself. He talks about Timothy. And then he comes and talks about Epaphroditus. You know, Jesus lived an exposed life. He was mocked, he was beaten, he was betrayed. He wept. Ultimately, we know, he was crucified. Paul lived an exposed life. He lived a life to surrender all. 
He was hated and abused for his apparent random conversion. He was a Pharisee's Pharisee, as we talked about before. And then he has this random conversion one day. Nobody's with him. And all of a sudden, he becomes a Christian. He was killing Christians before this. He lived an exposed life. He was imprisoned on a number of occasions. Ultimately, he gets killed. You know, because of his Roman citizenship, he's afforded certain benefits. As we said before, it was good to be Roman. Well, one of the Roman benefits was instead of being crucified on a cross, we'll just chop your head off. Timothy lived an exposed life. He genuinely cared for others. And I know you might be saying, Sam, I genuinely care for others. Timothy did not seek any agenda of his own, but pursued only the agenda of Christ. He was not selfish at all. Timothy didn't go to the movies on Friday night. He was instead serving in the youth ministry. Timothy didn't miss church on a Sunday morning because he was instead ministering to the widows and he was instead caring for the sick. Timothy didn't do the things that he wanted to do, the selfish fleshly things that he wanted to do, but instead he surrendered and exposed his soul to pursue the work of Christ totally. And Paul says there was none like Timothy because he is completely committed to serving others. And finally, as we've read, Epaphroditus lives an exposed life. So let me say it again. The key to being effective in our work for Christ, the key for you to be effective, I'm talking to you now, in the work of Christ is to do two things. The first one is to outwork these characteristics in a genuine way that Paul shares about Epaphroditus. Be a brother. Share in connection and affection with others. Be a fellow worker. Share together in the workload and the building up and the serving of our community, our church, and our world. Be a fellow soldier. Share in hardships with one another. Share in trials with one another. By doing that, outworking these characteristics, and then being willing to expose your soul completely, to roll the dice and just gamble your soul completely for the work of Christ. You will be effective for the work of Jesus. By living with these priorities and willingness to be exposed, to lay it all out, you will be effective for the kingdom. Would you please join me in standing this morning? We're going to close in a few moments, but I've just got two questions that I want to ask us this morning. And this is a youth takeover service, so we're going to do... things a little bit like we do at youth. And I want to say in this moment, I'm going to ask a couple of questions. And for the privacy of people this morning who may be responding, for the privacy of people who may be encountering Jesus this morning, I would ask that everyone here, no matter who you are, no matter what you believe, would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes? This is so important that we create this distraction-free environment for people to encounter God for people to respond to the scriptures. I'm going to talk to two groups of people this morning. The first group of people is this. You may be here this morning and you may have never encountered Jesus. You may be here this morning and you never have known Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. You wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus. You wouldn't call yourself a Christian necessarily. But maybe you've joined us and you would not call yourself a follower of Jesus. But this morning, you feel pulled to connect 
to this God, to connect to Jesus. You know, in the Greco-Roman world, the context of this passage that we've been sharing about, they believed in all different kinds of gods. The Romans adopted all different kinds of gods. They didn't just serve their gods, but they brought all different kinds of gods on board to their religion. They accepted them all. They brought them all on board and worshiped them all. It doesn't matter who it was. It doesn't matter how ridiculous it seemed. But the Roman gods were gods who judged really harshly. Zeus would throw lightning bolts down to people and smite people and kill all the baddies and kill all those who did a bad thing, who sinned. All the different kinds of gods that you read about in the Greco-Roman world are completely and radically different to the God that we believe in, in this God, Jesus. Jesus doesn't sit up on the throne looking to throw lightning bolts down when you've done the wrong thing, but instead he served humbly so that you could be in relationship with him. And so this morning, I want to ask this question. If you are here today and you have never invited Jesus into your life, you have never said in your heart that you believe in Jesus, that you want to follow him, that you are so thankful for what he's done for you, what he's provided for you when he died and took your place, when he sacrificed himself for you. Maybe you've never made that decision or maybe once upon a time you did make that decision and you feel like you've done something wrong that's just pulled you away from God and you feel like you could never approach a God like Jesus. Maybe you served Jesus a long time ago and have walked away. Whatever the reason may be, if you're making a first-time decision this morning or if you're recommitting your life to Jesus, I want to provide you that opportunity. And in this place with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask, if that's you, I don't want to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you up on the front. I'm not going to do anything crazy. I just want you to just simply raise your hand up in the air and then put it back down again. So if that's you, I just wonder if you could raise your hand in the air. I see that hand. That's awesome. I see that hand. That's great. I see that hand. Thank you. Thank you. I see those hands. Is there anybody else? From my left to my right, I see all those hands. That's amazing. Thank you. I see that hand there. Is there anybody else? Father, I just pray for every person who raised a hand this morning. Every decision that's being made now, whether it's a first-time decision or a recommitment, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would invade lives. Father, as you transform the life of Epaphroditus, God, his name meaning to be the beloved one of Aphrodite, this false God, Father, you have invaded and transformed his life. And so I pray, Father, that for every person making decision, whether hands raised or not, I just ask, Father, that you would invade lives this morning, that you would change eternity forever for these people in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I want to ask one more question with every head bowed and eyes closed. I'm not going to ask you to respond to this, but I want you to spend a moment to reflect. Spend a moment to think. The purpose of this message this morning was to challenge us to expose our lives. So I want to ask you, How exposed is your life? How exposed and open is your life for the work of Christ? Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus all had many things in common, but one specific thing was their willingness to risk it all for the kingdom of God. Paul was prepared to die for Christ. He was prepared to be poured out as a drink offering. 
And he would be joyful as he was executed for the purposes of Christ. Timothy gave up his every desire to serve and care for the body of Christ. Epaphroditus let nothing stop him from ministering and serving in humility his brother, his fellow worker, and his fellow soldier, Paul. So I want to ask you this. How exposed are you? What are you willing to risk? One really great great way of measuring this, one really great way of measuring your willingness to expose your soul for the kingdom of God is to ask this question. Do you live a life of service? Are you living a life that's serving Jesus? Are you living a life that's serving others in such a radical way? Are you following in the example of Epaphroditus, somebody that we can relate to on a very personal level? Are you following in the life of Timothy? Are you following in the life of Paul? And ultimately, are you being Christ-like? Are you following in the life of Jesus? A way to measure this is to say, do I live a life of service? We're going to sing this song, The Stand. And this song talks about having a heart that is abandoned to follow and serve Jesus. So I want to thank you so much for joining us this morning for our youth takeover service. And I know things have looked a little bit different uh, because of everything that's going on, but uh, I want to invite you to uh, worship with us now. And if you would like someone to stand with you and pray with you, we're going to have some leaders here on this side of the auditorium. Thank you for joining us in the podcast. For more information about Desert Life Church, go to desertlifechurch.org or check us out on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day and remember, you belong here.